John Golia. I'm Greg Fife. And I'm Todd Curtis. And we are the Flight Safety Detectives. Between us, we have over a century of aviation accident investigation and safety experience to draw on as we discuss issues that affect all of us. So we are qualified to share our perspectives on accidents and incidents and what can be learned from them for the future. We're proud to say that we have two sponsors that really relate to the topic of aviation safety. The Professional Aviation Maintenance Association, or PAMA, and Avemco Insurance. Later on in the show, we'll tell you how you can get a 5% discount on your insurance just for listening to the show. We don't just dissect the official reports. In every episode, we identify safety issues and take the mystery out of accident investigations. So maybe pilots in their planes can have safer flights ahead. Well, hello, John. It's uh, you and I flying solo for another special edition of Flight Safety Detectives. Really, it's an update with uh, with what we've been talking about with the Alaska Airlines 737 MAX-9 uh, aircraft and, of course, the loss of the door plug that uh, has resulted in an investigation into why that door actually left the aircraft causing a rapid decompression and uh, not only scaring uh, the passengers, but now getting the industry spooled up for what could have possibly happened. And we know that as of this recording today, um, United Airlines has now come forward and said that during the, the course of their inspection of their aircraft, they found five of their Dash 9 airplanes that had loose bolts related to this door plug. Let's talk about that a little bit. And can you just describe for us, you know, exactly? We, we've we gotten a uh, engineering drawing from Boeing, and we'll post that on the, on the website so people can really see it and understand it. But just describe it briefly and exactly how many bolts are we talking about? Well, this door is not a typical cabin door in that it is not a plug door. It's hinged on the bottom and it folds up into place. So it comes from the bottom up. So the hinges on the bottom have bolts in it. It's not clear whether those are the bolts they're talking about. But when the doors come up and locks in place, there's at least two places, four and a half, uh, where a bolt would be put in to secure this door in place because it doesn't have a typical latching mechanism the doors so it's 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 bolted in place firm firmly uh if they ever activate it to be an exit door like they would on airplanes that have more than 180 passengers then they would put the latching mechanism in to cover both inside and outside but it's not meant to be opened so it's bolted in place bolted locked shut no, so a, i'm sorry go ahead john so Although it's not clear whether it's the upper bolts or the lower bolts, either way, it's the same thing that it's going to allow the door skin to blow out and the pressurization to leak out of the airplane. Okay. Now, this brings up a, a number of questions. One, if these bolts 
are in place, why aren't they safety wired or why isn't there anything like a Loctite on the threads to keep those bolts and the nuts from coming loose? Yeah, I don't know why that, you know, we haven't seen the maintenance manual yet with the procedures, but uh, clearly that's a critical area of flight and it should be secured. In fact, I think it should be secured with safety wire, not with Loctite, because Loctite can fail. And given the fact that, that once that sidewall is put into place, it's really a, a, a forgotten item, if you will, because uh, you can't get in there to inspect it on a regular basis unless you take those side panels out. And I would think that the only time you are going to inspect it, like we talked about off air, and that is when uh, when they go in for a heavy check. Yeah, that's about five or six hundred hours on these airplanes, uh, and they're always trying to increase that. In fact, it may already be increased in these airplanes because it's it's based on the reliability of the product, and these airplanes are today are incredibly reliable. So the airlines are always pushing to to stretch out those checks because they're expensive. They like to move them out. So this is an item that will probably not be moved out. It'll probably be its own. Uh, special inspection for a while until they get a good handle on it and, and a good fix in place. But uh, for the time being, they're going to be going in there on a pretty regular basis. Now, um, we talked about on this show early on, you know, we raised one of the questions about a quote quality control issue at Boeing. And, you know, we had mentioned that the tube is made by Spirit basically a vendor and then shipped to Boeing for final assembly. And this door is, even when it's in the manufacturing process, this door is actually used by the folks putting the aircraft together to move supplies, tools, and of course, interior products that they're going to mount inside. So that door is actually open during the manufacturing process. Well, if you ever see an airplane on the assembly line at Boeing, uh, when it comes into position, there's stairs in the front of the back on both sides of the airplane. There's hoses running in, there's air hoses. There's all kinds of stuff going in and out of there. So this door on this this particular type of airplane is very convenient for the, the people who are working on the interior of the airplane to use it to bring the bits and pieces inside. Don't forget, the airplane comes in and it's bare on the inside. So you they've got work to do. they got stringing Wi-Fi, stringing all sorts of stuff inside, and then putting on the sidewall panels, the ceiling, uh, putting the floorboards in place, rugs, seats. So there's a lot of work that's going on. And to have a, a, a good, easy spot for egress of all those bits and pieces that they bring on the airplane is very convenient for those people. And I, I don't blame them for using it, but it, uh, you know, when you open something like that, you better be able to close it properly. Well, that brings up another question then, John. Once they've decided, okay, everything is done, they're buttoning up the interior. Um, what, I mean, you got the guy who has the torque wrench, he puts the bolts in, torques them all down, calls it good. That has to be recorded, of course, in the maintenance records and, and demonstrated that, okay, I've done it. It's good to go. Is yeah, that not quality is, control checked? No, that's assembly records. We'll have the signature initials a stamp for those guys that did that work. So they'll know who did the work, who signed for the work. That's not quality. Quality is an inspector whose sole job is to go around and double check what other people have done. 
And there's been a for a long time in industries across the board, not just uh, aviation, industry as a whole, to eliminate as many inspections as possible, mainly because an inspector does not produce any revenue. He only looks for problems. So how do you prove a negative? You know, he's finding problems that are going to show up later in your product, warranty claims or other problems. It's very difficult to justify those expenditures of, of wages for those people trying to justify it as a negative. But we see in so many cases like these and like many others that have high, high visibility failures, we see it over and over where they eliminated the inspector, relied upon the person doing the job, and here comes the problems. Now I want to back up a second. Rely upon the person doing the job. Over the last few years, not only Boeing, but everybody, and, and a lot of people around the world as well, have seen a major exodus of all the gray hairs and no hairs, right? All the old guys that understood what was going on, and they just, they just know what has to be done. They're gone. And they didn't have the opportunity to be mentors for their replacements. So now we have a knowledge gap and a in a lot of our manufacturing facilities. That alone would dictate more inspections, more looking, double double checking for a while until we build up that area. And uh, we're not seeing that. Not only at Boeing, we're not seeing that in a lot of facilities. And John, one of the, the concerns that, uh, that I have, and I think we've talked about it, and that is, you know, when you look at it, I mean, you don't have the same guy turning the wrench on all these airplanes. The question is, is this not a, so much, you know, a human problem as it is a design problem, given the fact that that's a plug, that fuselage is constantly expanding and contracting, it's gyrating, it's twisting with air loads and a variety of other things, nuts and bolts naturally will come apart. And I mean, from an engineering standpoint, you would think that the, the engineers would have figured that out as they were designing at least this latching mechanism that holds the plug in place. Do you think a redesign is in order? Well, you know, the, uh, the plug on, on these exits has been blocked out for maybe close to 60 years. Every cargo airplane that FedEx and UPS, not every, but most, FedEx and UPS fly have plugs on the emergency exits. All right, so let's take a 727 that was the backbone for FedEx and UPS. All right, there's four overwing exits, two on each side. I don't know how much they weigh. They probably weigh with the structure 50, 60 pounds a piece. So right off the bat, there's 200 pounds plus removed from the airplane if you just put a blank piece of aluminum in there. So we've been blanking out these doors with these plugs for 60 years. Basically, industry knows how to do that. And we've had no problems on the on the cargo side of the business with these blanket plates. So I would say it's not the engineering. Now, the second half of this would be the process. The process is the steps that an individual like me as a mechanic uh, would follow to make sure that you the sequence is properly done in proper sequence to secure the door, right? So is there a problem with that dot? Is it straight? We don't know yet. They haven't said anything. They haven't 
there's nothing been coming out. I would tend to doubt it, but we'll have to wait and see on that. So that's the, the second half. And then the third half is the, fum the human being himself. In this particular case, have did that individual or individuals do this job before? Have they been trained on how to do this job? Right. Did they have any problems that they reported to their supervisor and nothing was done? Right. So there's a litany of questions that the NTSB is going to need to ask and answer around the installation of this particular airplane. And then they need to look at others, given that United's had five of them that have already shown up. We haven't heard from uh, Alaska Airlines or Southwest Airlines. There's 171 in the U.S., and I don't know how many outside of the U.S., so there's a lot of airplanes to look at yet. You know, the other thing that concerns me <laughs> amongst a variety of things is uh, as far as the maintenance procedures. You know, this airplane, there's reports that the airplane had at least three write-ups in December and January for pressurization issues. And, of course, that being said, wonder what the uh, the maintenance manual says as to what you need to do to try to troubleshoot that procedure. I'm willing to bet dollars to donuts that this emergency or this door plug is not part of that as a potential leak source. And, yeah. and I I'll think guarantee you that's not there. And, and with that being said, you know, the there was supposedly a light that indicated to the crew that they had a pressurization issue. But as we've talked off the air as well, that could have been basically a, you know, a cover, if you will, or at least misleading to the, uh, to the flight crew. Right. When I put myself in the, in the shoes of a mechanic working on a line, this airplane comes in and he says, I got a pressurization issue. I got this warning light. So now the pressurization system, which is located in the airplane, has a controller, has outflow valves, has sensors all uh, in various places around the airplane, right? It's going to force you to look at those. Nowhere are you going to start looking for a leak at that point in time. So, so the first time it comes in, you got a problem, you might put another controller in it. And the second and third time was on the same, within the same 24 hours, start ratcheting up. There's nowhere in that process where you would pressurize that airplane at that point in time and go looking for external leaks. That would come a little later, right? Maybe maybe day four or five, when you have these repeats on, on an overnight, you would button the airplane up with somebody up in the airplane, maybe two people up in the airplane, and you would pressurize it and somebody would walk around inside listening and there would be somebody on the outside walking around looking for and listening for leaks. But it's just a little too early. And the fact that that light came on and said pressurization problem, pressurization problem, they're going to focus on the pressurization system. Now, what what's really curious to me, you know, the NTSB did a press conference that, uh, last night and indicated that the write-up or at least the corrective actions taken by Alaska Airlines, this was a, quote, benign issue, yet they put a restriction, an ETOPS restriction, that they weren't going to fly this airplane out to Hawaii, but they allowed it to fly over the, the continental United States. I, I don't understand the logic behind it. I sure as hell don't understand, you know, any procedures. Why? I mean, the airplane doesn't know it, the difference between over water or over land. And, and the same problem, of course, could happen 
either place. Why would they put a restriction on it? Because they don't want to have eight, a couple of reasons. All right. And the first and the simplest is they don't want the airplane going to Hawaii because I don't think they have much support in Hawaii. They may have one or two mechanics over there and maybe none of their own and no parts. So they're not going to send it off where it's going to be stuck for days and days and days. And the second one is there's a lot of caution in the maintenance department around ETOPS. And anytime you have any kind of a problem uh, that affects ETOPS, you take it right off. And that's what we did at USA when I was there. Anything at all that affected ETOPS, pull it off. You know, don't let it go around the world where there's very little support for the airplane. Yeah, but you got to fix the airplane. Right. This was a systemic or a recurring problem. They should have fixed it. Um, but it wasn't quite there yet, though. Again, when I put my myself in the shoes of the line maintenance supervisor, Right. It's not quite there yet. Another day or two, it would have been. It wasn't quite because pressurization issues like this are pretty common and they're usually hardware related. The control box I'm going on a three month old airplane. That's a little bit of a stretch, but it happens. So it's a control box. It's, you know, these parts were brand new. Many of them were only tested on the bench. Now you put them in real life and things don't go exactly as they were planned to go. So it, it wasn't quite there yet, but it was close. Well, do you think this is going to change, given the fact that they had indications of a pressurization problem? They did whatever they did, return the airplane to service. And then, of course, we have a, a major structural failure of the airplane. Yes. Well, I wouldn't call it a major structural end, but it's, it was a structural failure. You got the door bulging out to some degree until, until it finally the bolts backed off. So they must have been sitting there vibrating uh, themselves loose back there. And you think I, that, I mean, we know that when door seals leak, they, they, you know, they whistle and they scream, you know, I mean, <laughs> this one is a plug. I would think that if that door was leaking, especially if it was the cause of the leak and the cause of the pressurization problems, it was making noise. Yeah, but the only one who would hear it with the passengers and sitting right close to it. And it would probably be muffled. I don't know how much insulation they had back there, but it certainly would be muffled by the panels over it. So, yes, it would be making noise. No question about it. You know, and one of the other things that the NTSB brought up in the news conference was the fact that the uh, two-hour CVR had been over-recorded or uh, written over. So it was worthless. Um, there was nothing regarding the event on the CVR. And of course, the chairman brought up, um, because they've been advocating for 25-hour CVRs. The fact of the matter is, is that whether you have a two-hour or a 25-hour CVR, a 25-hour CVR wouldn't have captured it either. This was a 26-minute event. And again, if somebody did not pull the circuit breaker, shut it down, and it kept running because the aircraft apparently had to have been powered to uh, to keep that CVR running and uh, and it overrode it. I mean, what's the procedure? I, I always thought that there was a procedure. You pull the cockpit, I mean, you pull the circuit breakers to shut down that box at the, at the termination of the flight, you know, as part of a shutdown. These guys taxied the airplane and- I Yes, mean, I, I know it, at, at USA that was a procedure. And I, and, and as a, 
the person in charge of the shift when when it, when I was on and we had an emergency come back like this, uh, I would go out and make sure the crew did pull them. I I'd be meeting the airplane because right? I knew I'd be asking, I'd be answering a lot of questions from my bosses. So you know, get out there, get it, you know, see the things firsthand yourself. So yes, it's, there are procedures to do just that. So you know, they were probably shooken up quite a bit. Fortunately, there was nobody that uh, went out the hole like we've seen with with uh, United in Honolulu. And let's not forget that that door in United in Honolulu is not unlike this plug door. Hinges to the outside. It's a great big piece of metal, much bigger than the door on the 737 uh, Max. But it's the exact same kind of design. And, you know, people say, how does the, how does, you can't open the main cabin door because of the design of where it is. It's a plug door. Right? The door is bigger than the hole. In this case, the door is not bigger than the hole because it's outside of the hole. So it it's very easily could blow out and did, you know, and, and it may be that just the top bolts let go, the door hinged out, the hinges are on the bottom, and then the airflow took care of the rest of it. We've seen that happen, and the door leaves the airplane. Fortunately, yeah. they have the door now, so the door is going to tell them a lot. Yeah. And then one last issue before we wrap this show up, and that is I read this morning that Boeing was um, basically doing an internal safety review. What do you think that's going to consist of? Uh, well, as I understand it, they're going to have a, a essentially a, a huge Zoom call with everybody, and Calhoun will be given a, a, a pep talk uh, about safety. If maybe he'll ask some safety questions. Uh, you know, given the problems that Boeing has had with the bolt on the rudder and the other problems around safety and quality, he, do he doesn't need to be doing a, a call. He needs to be grabbing people and saying, do your damn job. If you need more people, then we're going to add the people. Right? It's no more, you know, it's fish and cut bait time now. Right? Their product, we got a big black eye again because of problems on the floor. And it may be some of the problems that we mentioned already with inexperienced help, not enough help, definitely not enough inspectors uh, in their organization. So, you know, cut it out. Ratchet that up and peel it back later, but get to level the field and get some good airplanes coming out the door. And where do you think the FAA fits in this? Uh, well, they don't oversee the, you know, they don't walk around doing the inspection on the hangar floor or the, or the assembly line floor. They rely upon the process. So if the process was robust and correct, then the problem's going to rest with the individuals. All right, so they'll need to be retrained. If they come forward, and I don't know if, if Boeing has a just culture, they talked about it for a while, but if they do and these guys come forward and explain exactly what happened, exactly the problems they had, you know, whether it be not enough time, not enough tooling, whatever it was, and explain it, then they should just get retrained in the, in the jobs that they have to do, and let's fix the problem and move on. Well, I think uh, I think there's still a lot for us to talk about, and uh, we'll be monitoring what takes place and what the NTSB finds uh, over the next several days to see uh, how they're going to improve aviation safety with uh, this particular issue. So, my I friend, want to, I want to see what Ryanair and, and the others 
that have the larger airplanes that actually use that door if they have any similar problems. Yep. Yeah, that'll uh, that'll definitely be interesting to uh, to see the feedback for sure. So, so with that, I will uh, close us out until uh, we now have a <laughs> return to our regular scheduled programming. Yeah. Which, in in fact, we are coming up on producing our two hundredth show, and um, so we're going to make that kind of special. And John and I will be announcing. Uh, another new twist to the show um, during the course of uh, of that particular 200th show, because uh, that's a turning point for us and flight safety detectives. So with that, my friend, I will say goodbye and fly safe. Fly safe yourself. Thank you for checking out our show. We really value our listeners and subscribers. Our podcast gets ranked by you and how much you like it. So please give us five stars in your podcast platform. We want to keep in contact with you. We are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and of course, YouTube. You can email the show at flightsafetydetectives at gmail.com. By the way, if you're on YouTube, we're really working on growing the channel, and it helps if you all send in comments. Please do that. And we read all the comments. And be sure to subscribe. Remember, if you're in the market for aviation insurance, you can save 5% with Avemco just by mentioning our show. Visit them at www.avemco.com. That's it for this episode of the Flight Safety Detective. Until the next episode, fly safe.